Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the podcast that's not afraid to ask the big questions, such as just what was Memphis Depay wearing on French TV on Sunday night? On today's show, an Icardi that's even more valuable than Kurt Cobain's. I.I. Captain Depay, Ben Yedder's super efficacious Monaco are no longer atrocious, and Brest are in the fast land. Matt Spiro serving a one-podcast ban after the way he finished last week's show. So you've got me, David Crossan, as your host today, and in my front room, executive producer Ian Holyman. Bonjour. Bonjour, tout le monde. I've always seen myself in the player coach role, David, and uh, there's been a lot of nonsense on the pod in recent uh, weeks and months, and uh, if there's one thing that people around this table know that I'm an expert in, it's nonsense. You're here for discipline, then. <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Dis- disciplined, I think. And to your left, uh, Amal Tongi. Good day to you. Good day. How are we all doing? Very good. And uh, sat alongside me, Andy Scott, who was at Le Classique last night. Hi, Dave. Hi, everybody. And uh, I'm in disbelief because I don't think I've ever seen Ian Holyman before. The producer who's always floating somewhere in the background, but he's actually in the room today. Let's get over that shock because uh, there wasn't one at the Parc des Princes on Sunday evening, let's face it. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain have not lost to Marseille in their last 16 league games on Sunday evening, it was a 4-0 victory. Kylian Mbappe and Mauro Icardi both scored two. And Robbie Thompson, who hasn't bothered turning up this morning, was the commentator. Di Maria. Running at Sakai. Di Maria's done well. The cross for Icardi. Saved the second time. It's in. Mauro Icardi. On the stroke of 10 minutes, gives Paris Saint-Germain the lead. With Verratti, ball over the top for Riccardi, and that is two this time. He was denied by Stefan Donda just two minutes ago, but not this time. Oh, it's another ball over the top for Di Maria, the cross, and Mbappe. There's no offside. Di Maria with the assist. And Paris Saint-Germain are just cutting Marseille to ribbons here. Now look at the space for Di Maria. Trouble here for Marseille as Mbappe charges through the middle again. And it's in. 4-0. Kylian Mbappe has a double. 4-0 at the Parc des Princes. Comprehensive. All the goals scored in the first half before PSG had a little kip in the second Andy, Paris Saint-Germain have not lost to Marseille since November 2011. Steve Mondonda can just about remember winning against PSG. It was incredibly one-sided, wasn't it? Can we still talk about it as the biggest game in French football? Um, well, I think in terms of the in terms of the history and what it means to the two sets of supporters, the two clubs, then then yeah, of course. I mean, they remain well. They are the two biggest clubs, I think, in France. We can probably say that without upsetting too many people. Um, but you know it's a long time since since it's been any real contest on the field. I say that, but actually, um, I I was looking back at the history of this fixture before the game on 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 Sunday and um, sixteen league games. I think it's twenty games now in all competitions between the teams since since Marseille last beat PSG eight years ago. And actually, the the vast majority of these uh, past meetings have been relatively close. I mean, there's never really been more than two goals in it. 
uh, with with just the odd exception. And and last night was, I think, the most one-sided uh, game between these two teams that, that I can remember. Um, and it just hammered home what Andre Villas-Boas had said in, in the run-up to the game, that this is not uh, what what he would term as a, a Clásico, as it would be in his home country, Portugal, as a lot of people in France refer to this fixture as a Clásico instead of the Classique, which is what we call it. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's... Yeah, on the field there is no contest between these teams. I, I hope to see more of uh, more from Marseille. I mean, actually, they did start the game quite well. I know that Mikael Landreau, the former PSG goalkeeper, was talking on Canal Plus last night and kept on uh, raving about how good Marseille were in the first ten to fifteen minutes. But you know, Valer Germain missed that chance, and and uh, PSG went straight downfield and scored, and, and it was game over after that. And um, uh, you know. There's not really much we can say. I mean, we knew there was a gulf in class between the teams and it was uh, it was 4-0. It could easily have been 6, 7 or 8 if PSG wanted to play in the second half. But I think they were, they'd got the job done and they, they kind of took the foot off the gas. Kylian Mbappe back from injury and scoring goals for fun. PSG's last 11 goals in the space of just over two games, starting against Nice when Nice were down to nine men, have all been scored by either Mauro Icardi or Kylian Mbappe. Icardi's got five goals and Mbappe six in that time. It's fearsome, Ian. It is, David, but I just I just want to jump in because I am I'm I'm fuming. Quite literally. Is this a coup de girl? It most certainly is. Oh merde, quel bande de chèvre. C'est mon coup de gueule. Right. I mean, Andrew, you mentioned Michel Londro. Yeah, I appreciate the job of the media. It's to big it up. It's to make it a contest. But come on. The French media were having this debate before the game. Ooh, would we have Dario Benedetto instead of Mauro Icardi? Oh, yes, we would. Yes, we would. What? I mean, what? I would. Well, Armel, uh, uh, just don't, don't, don't provoke me. I'm not, I'm, just do not poke this particular bear this morning because, come on, there was never, ever, 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 ever going to be a contest at the Parc des Princes. Oh, maybe it's a good time to get PSG. They've just whipped Bruges five whatever in the Champions League. I mean, yeah, it was not a good time to meet Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain were... We're going to show Marseille that you have absolutely no chance. You know what? You know how much that that contest meant even to the fans last night? They didn't even stone the Marseille bus when it arrived at the Parc des Princes. That is how low things have got in that particular rivalry. They couldn't be bothered because they knew the thing that the French media were trying to whip up was never going to be a contest in that game. And Paris Saint-Germain, I mean, that could have been, that could have been appropriately enough, a rugby score. I'll... I'll de- I'll defend this uh, wonderful fixture for a, for a short while because I don't think I've ever seen Marseille so stressed out in that first half. The the, the high press that they came to the Parc des Princes with, which looked good for about eight minutes, um, was yeah, it was quite impressive. It looked good, and then every time they'd get the ball, they looked unbelievably stressed out. Even when they've been playing in the uh, Europa League latter stages in recent years, they haven't. There's still there's still a feel about this fixture. Yeah, but you know why Definitely. they were stressed out? Because they they knew that they weren't even second best. I mean, the ball boys were like performed better than Marseille did last night. I mean, Strootman like Lopez in in midfield, Rangier what up again? I mean, Verratti just had an absolute yeah, just an absolute field day. And it's a ridiculous. It was a ridiculous first half performance from Paris Saint Germain and from Marseille. I mean, to be fair, I'm going to defend uh, Villas Boas for for once. Because he, he went with that high press. And it's, I mean, what else was he going to do? He didn't really have anything to lose. 
apart from the game, which everybody thought they were going to lose anyway. So he might, he had to kind of go for it. But, I mean, Londro saying they looked good in the first 10 minutes. No, I'm going to defend Mikel Londro here now because he did make one valid point, which was, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit back? Because Marseille don't have quick players anymore. They can't really play on the counter. They don't have Lucas Ocampos, who I think was their key man. He really set the tone in terms of work rate. Not the fastest, but perpetual movement. Even someone like Clinton and G would be more useful to them at the Parc des Princes than some of the players they had turning out on Sunday evening. Mm. It is really sad to see how Payet just can't perform against PSG. And Tovan probably had his best game because he's injured against PSG. He's never done anything against Paris Saint-Germain. I thought Payet kept the ball quite well last night. He was one of the Marseille players that looked the calmest on the ball if I well you'd, you'd hope so wouldn't you given that he's a sort of a multiple French international he'd probably be pretty mm. good at football and should be able to keep possession even against world class players because he, he at one time was looking like he might be at least a decent international class but player. it but it, it comes down sorry and it comes down to the the fact that the Marseille don't have that depth do they I mean we talk about the the debate between uh, over Benedetto and Icardi and who's better but of course if you put Benedetto in the PSG team and he's getting the service from Angel Di Maria, then, you know, he probably would have scored a goal or two in that game last night. But just one other thing on the rivalry, I thought it was interesting reading um, L'Equipe's preview of the game was quite indicative because it it made the point that um, Marseille are about the only team in France who haven't beaten PSG in the last, you know, Mm. since they beat them in 2011. Just about everybody else who's played in Ligue 1 has got a result. You know, Sochaux, Evian, Bastia, all these teams have beaten PSG at some point. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's happened recently. But the reality is that Paris Saint-Germain do raise their game in this fixture. I mean, you might say that this, for the supporters it doesn't really matter anymore, but it does. And um, and for the team, they obviously raise their game in this fixture. And, and, and this is the end result. I'm getting, I- getting very negative vibes from the presence of the... Uh- executive producer here today. Well, yeah. it's because I've been cooped up, haven't I, for months and months. You've never let me out of my box and now I, here I am and I've, I've just I got probably to gave advantage. him too many double espressos this morning as well, right? I think we need to get back to talking about Icardi because we had a lengthy discussion about him last week and it's fair to say that Armel and myself weren't the most flattering about him. Have we changed our mind? I've now decided he's really good at finishing, go- finishing off moves Brilliant at his movement to get on the end of crosses. He only had 15 touches last night, scored two goals. He has been brilliant over the last week and that whole Icardi Cavani debate, has it been settled now? My argument remains that anyone that was that is being provided with balls from the likes of Angel Di Maria, Marco Verratti, Kylian Mbappe, who takes about two or three defenders with him every time he goes forward, anyone playing in that position would put goals... Six assists for Di Maria in the last three games in all competitions. And Nice, Bruges and Marseille. Those those 11 goals you mentioned earlier that have all been scored by Icardi and Mbappe, five of those are assists by by Di Maria. I I think anyone could play that position, even Cavani's half-brother Walter Guglielmoni. I think he could do that as well, or Adrian Mutu. That was wonderfully pronounced, I think. I think you got that spot on there. Thank you. But I, I, I think Dario Benedetto would probably have... 11 to himself playing in that PSG team oh, right now. Oh, stop it now. Okay, but let's, 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 if we stop the Icardi versus Benedetto debate, which really isn't one, right? But if we start, if we restart the Icardi versus Cavani debate, and if anybody would score, right? So let's assume that Cavani would score as many as Icardi mm. in that lineup, then let's have Icardi because he's six years younger. End of story. Uh, just, just Cavani, it's worth pointing out. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can say what you want about him, maybe not being the player he was, but. The reception he got when he came on last mm. night was quite something. The Paris Saint-Germain fans 
do still love him probably, you know, more than any other player in that team. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could put anybody up, you could put Kevin Berrigio up front in that Paris Saint-Germain team and he'd probably score 15, 20 goals a season without any problems. Worth pointing out that uh, Cavani came on on the left. It's like a back to the future thing for him. He had to play wide when Zlatan Ibrahimovic was the main man. For Cavani to get a game, is he going to have to now revert to being that good squad player who works hard for the team rather than the, well, he's a club record goal scorer, which should entitle him to a certain status. Should he? I mean, just for just Fontaine's got the the record for World Cup goals, hasn't he? Should he get in the France squad? No, that, that's yeah, that's the this old is, joke. This is well, the what's better, the, the vibe the, that I'm getting. The Paris Saint Germain team now, or the team from the '90s that made all those European semi-finals? Well, they're all about fifty now, so. I, mean, I think the Paris Saint Germain team now is is far better than the side that won the 1996 European Cup Winners' Cup. I mean, surely no debate about that. And Edinson Cavani. What about him? I mean, just yes, he's a great he's he's great to have as a squad player now. He's 32. Bring him on. Icardi will eventually get injured. Maybe have a dip in form. At least having Cavani in the background keeps him on his toes. But nothing against Edinson Cavani. I think he's been a brilliant player for Paris Saint-Germain. I think he's Icardi's unlocked. wages are cheaper as well, according to the press. So. Well, I th- just because the fans like him, it, that's, that is, again, no reason to keep any sort of player in your squad or in your team at the expense of a better player. A six years younger player. I mean, look at the way as well. It's not just so much the goals. Yeah, I'm just keeping talking because Andy wanted to jump in there. No, I'm folks, sorry. But... I just want to say it's not a bad dilemma to have, right? No, Cavani it's not. Or Icardi. But it's not. But now he's got. He is the backup striker, and I think that the, this brilliant work rate and this brilliant team ethic that we we keep talking about is a real bonus and a real boon for 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 Thomas Tuchel because Cavani isn't going to rock the boat because the fans like him. It puts a little bit of pressure on Cavani not to rock the boat because then the fans might turn against him and say, "Oh, hang on, you're trying uh, you're trying to mess things up here." So Cavani is going to sit relatively happily or relatively quietly perhaps I should comfortably. say comfortably they're quite comfortable those benches I would imagine they're very comfortable yeah I, we, we should have one here for the pod I think David but <clears throat> he's gonna he's not gonna rock the boat and Nicardi <laughs> is producing the goods and I think what, what is more impressive for me than just the, the, the pure stats of a striker is the way that Icardi, Di Maria and Mbappe dim as they have been uh, helpfully coined by the French media have linked up really, really, really well. Look at that lovely little back heel from Mbappe yesterday where Icardi, yeah, he didn't score. Decent stop mm. by Maldonda. Oh. But... oh, he didn't score. No, he didn't oh. score. But how, Okay, but how many times, how many times have we sat here pre-pod or during pod and said, God, Cavani missed a few yeah. sitters? Plenty. Strikers miss chances. That, um, that, that, the, the dim is quite a good name, really, in a way, for this front three because, of course, dim, D-I-M, is also the first three letters of Angel Di Maria's surname. And Angel Di Maria, for me, is... He has been... Uh, he's the masterpiece in uh, the dim. I mean, what an incredible player he is. I mean, the form he's been in since the beginning of 2019, it's worth emphasising. The last three games, Paris Saint-Germain have been exceptional from back to front, but Angel Di Maria in particular has been just unbelievable. That goal he scored against Nice. Um, I mean, you talk about the number of assists he's had in the last couple of games. I, I thought he had four assists against Club Brugge in the Champions League. Two last night, that's six already. Did he have any against Nice last weekend? I don't know, but anyway... The guy's the guy's form is is just remarkable, and I think you know we see a lot more of Ligue 1 than we see of other leagues. But I think there's a case Angel Di Maria has been just about the best player in Europe. You know, not just in France, but in Europe in 2019. We should move on from PSG soon, but just before we do, uh, short answers on this one. After the game last night, Mauro Icardi interviewed in Spanish on French TV, saying it's the best team he's played in. 
Uh, are we looking at the best league and team there's been? These early season assessments are great, aren't they? Because uh, when PSG won all those games at the start of last season, everyone was saying, what an amazing job Tuchel had done. So to make a valid point, I guess you have to compare and contrast. And the only sort of team that would come anywhere near this is Leon's team of the early noughties with Janino, the, the Govus and and that lot. But I mean, I, I think you uh, fine gentlemen saw a bit more of that period of Ligue 1 than I did. And, um, is this the best PSG team there's been? I think potentially, yes. yes. Absolutely. One of the things that was interesting last night was um, that Paris Saint-Germain brought their first ever captain onto the field uh, to give the ceremonial pre-game kick-off, which is a thing obviously in France. And um, it kind of made me laugh because I was thinking there's not that many clubs out there now who could bring on their first ever captain to do mm. that because most yeah. of them you know, wouldn't be here any longer. But Paris Saint-Germain are a young club. They've you know only been around for 50 years. And so, yeah, there's no question that in the last 50 years, they've not had a team on this level. I mean, okay, in the last five or six years, they've had a, a few excellent teams. But um, but generally, going back before the, the Qatar era, of course, no Paris Saint-Germain team has, has been able to to match the, the level they're at now. Maybe the, the George Weah team of the early to mid-90s for a short spell. But, I mean, this 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 is something else. Do you know who uh, Paris Saint-Germain signed their first captain Jean Jorcaeff from? Lyon. Ajaxio? Marseille. Oh. So it's fitting he was there, really. <laughs> I think he's more of an OM man. But yes, uh, my opinion is this is probably the best team that Ligue 1 will ever see. And I think I think on, in terms of improvement of last season, it's strength and depth, isn't it? I mean, they've got fabulous strength and depth now. Yeah, and, and of course Idrissa Gay didn't play last night, once again injured, and uh, the midfield was very impressive, and their error coming in and, and, and slotting in very well. And um, yeah, I mean, what more can you say? They're a, they're a very, very good team. They're looking very impressive at the moment, but you know we say this all the time about PSG in the autumn, don't we? They always tend to play well the last few seasons at this time of year. It's about maintaining that form into February, March and April. Well, if you look at it, they haven't played that well, actually, at the start of the season. In comparison to last year, maybe in fact, this time they've got that, they're going to get that the right way around. Let's move on now and let's uh, talk about Lyon and in particular, let's talk about Memphis Depay. Lyon had gone eight league games without a win before the weekend when they beat Mets 2-0 at home and Angus Terode commentated this one. Deny it to uh, Depay again who uh, skips past Kevin Doram, the man on loan from Monaco! And Memphis Depay has put Leon in front. Moussa Dembélé to double Leon's lead, and he does. And the two front men for Leon have delivered. Well, captain's innings from Memphis Depay, scoring a, a fine solo goal and winning the penalty that Dembélé scored. Rudy Garcia has been rotating the captaincy. Uh, it worked rather better for Depay on Saturday than it did for Anthony Lopez being named captain at Benfica in midweek. Well, he looked he looked freed up by uh, by the extra responsibility. He seemed to really take it upon himself to win this match for Leon, and I thought his his goal was uh, indicative of that. The way he skipped past four or five Mets players before smashing it past the goalkeeper. My personal opinion is now at the sort of age that he's got to. He's twenty five now, perhaps a little less volatile than he's been in in previous years of his career. I think it's a a very good decision actually to give Memphis the captaincy because Leon fans love him but there have always been questions about his commitment to the club and whether he's just playing for a move to Real Madrid that's never going to happen so at least now you've 
given him the captain's armband, he he has a form of responsibility, and he, we know he's like he's someone that likes to shine. He likes to be in the spotlight. That gives him extra spotlight. And from the the first uh, the first task that he had to do with the armband on, he did it very well in the two 0 win this weekend. I thought it was interesting that uh, Luca Toussaint, who capped in France at last summer's under twenty one Euros, got to the semi finals there. They um, he said that during the during the warm up, Depay sort of took the took the lead, as it were, gave the team talk. I don't know in which language. I've never heard him speak French, but um, so I presume it was I presume it was French in the in the confines of the dressing room, and that Toussaint was really impressed with that. That. The, the squad seemed to follow him, mm. which I think was important. It's bear in mind though, it's not a permanent decision yet of Rudy Garcia. He was quick to highlight that after the game. Jason Donea, who was uh, was Silvino's captain, was in the was in the side uh, at the weekend. Marcelo wasn't, so let's see what happens uh, when when or if he comes back in into the starting lineup. But I agree with you, uh, Armel. He really looked on again another level, and it was a f- it really was a fabulous goal. The big question, though, as we mentioned at the top of the show, just what was Memphis Depay wearing on Canal Plus on Sunday? I'm going to have a go at describing this. It's mm. a, a, a sort of multicoloured designer mini waistcoat, I'd say, a bit like you'd see a 1980s snooker player. I'm thinking Dennis Taylor, all that's missing is the, the massive glasses turned the wrong way, Many, maybe a mini top hat. Has anyone else got a better description? It would be as if you put a, a waistcoat in a very hot tumble dryer... Mm. And it would now only fit a Lilliputian. It's like when you put when you put packets of crisps in the oven or the mic, whatever it was. You know, when <laughs> why you do you do that? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, the, the, Scottish, part of Scottish cuisine, eh? <laughs> a fried, was, great uh, Friday night. In but you know, they, they they come out very small and kind of uh, crispy. Mm. You know, for want of a better description. But <laughs> but um, I, I was I was on my way to the Parc des Princes uh, yesterday evening, cycling past um, a bar, and I saw the big screen showing uh, the, the Canal Plus uh, programme, obviously ahead of the PSG game, mm. and Memphis Depay there in, in the studio, and I saw what he was wearing, and I nearly crashed because I was just completely stunned. I mean, Memphis Depay nearly killed me. So, you know, the, I mean... What a story I, that would have been I, for the it, pod. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it would only be three of you this morning, yes. but it would have been worth it. But, um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm speechless. I think my uh, attempt to describe it would be the sort of bib you'd get at like a surf and turf restaurant. To make sure you get absolutely nothing dirty, just give you something disgusting and plastified to put around your shoulders. Is it an accessory or is it part of the shirt? That's the other thing I can. I'd like to have seen a, a rear view of that as well to see whether it was a little waistcoat or whether it's a, like a, a, a neckerchief got, around a. Because it's quite a smart shirt that he was wearing, nicely pressed, top button done up. Very nicely pressed, but it's a very, very plain grey shirt. And then he's got on this monstrosity of a. It's one like one of those sort of like kind of well sports bra things that the players wear yeah. that put in the, their little gps for training i mean unless it was a, a a shirt or a waistcoat and he was attacked by a pack of savage dogs on his way into the studio <laughs> and, and that was all that was left i mean i don't know there's no other explanation but the, the, okay descriptions aside what on earth was he thinking what what was he thinking because it, it does not look good and it's i mean it's not the first fashion four par that we've seen from a footballer is it I thought his Peaky Blinders look worked better than that. So anyone who wants to employ any of us for Paris Fashion Week, it's legampodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. You should see how we're dressed today. We won't be putting a photo out when we publish this podcast. Uh, Moving on, I think it's important to move on from that. Well, after the first win for Rudy Garcia as Lyon coach, and we'll keep following that. 
But we'll talk more about Monaco. And last week on the podcast, I made a prediction that actually came true for once. Uh, I said that Wissam Ben Yedder would score against Nantes. Wasn't a big gamble given his form. He did. And Robbie Thompson had the pleasure of commentating this on Friday night at La Bourgeois. Now, Ben Yedder. Oh, Ben Yedder. Beautifully done. Sensational. And Wissam Ben Yedder is in absolutely stunning form this season. Ben Yedder up to nine goals, the top scorer in Ligue 1, and he is incredibly clinical. We have a, a table that our friends from Opta published just before this season, showing him as, of all the players who have scored over 100 goals in the big league since 2012, he's the one who requires the fewest shots to do it. He scores with one in every five shots. Edinson Cavani second on the list, Icardi fourth, a former Ligue 1 man, Obama Young is in third. Messi and Ronaldo are nowhere on that list. You get all the top strikers in Ligue 1. Uh, ben Yedder has scored with one in three shots this season. He did it again, Ian, on Friday night. He did. He, he, he's so clinical, I'm surprised he doesn't play with surgical gloves, David, because... Uh... He has been phenomenal. <clears throat> Thank you, boys. Uh, he has been phenomenal. He really has. I mean, I, genuinely, I thought he was a pretty decent player in what was a pretty awful Toulouse side. Yeah, you, But you don't go to Spain. You don't go to a team like Sevilla, who've been a very, very handy side over the last decade, and perform as he has done and be an average player. And it, he, he, he was actually... Um, and it surprised me at the time, but you remember when he was at Toulouse latterly, he was actually linked with Barcelona. The Spanish clubs were obviously keeping a very close eye on him, and he did very well in Spain. Well, he's that, he's that sort. He's that exactly the sort of player that they were like really good on the ball. I mean, he started in futsal, so that that's always given. You make it sound Polish. <laughs> futsal. Futsal. <laughs> Possibly it is, but he, that's that's why he's got such good technique. He has that incredible low center of gravity, and I mean, he's he's this kind of Sheridan Shakiri build. Like it's almost impossible to knock off the ball. Mm. I mean, he's just got huge, like, huge strength in that. In I that think small it's time frame. for some French football lexicon. He's the sort of player the French love to talk about the petit perimètre, and this comes from the futsal stuff. He manages to take a lot of touches in a very short space of time. He moves so quickly. The way he took his goal against Nantes was absolutely magnificent. He actually had the ball in the back of the net three times, and two of them were ruled out for quite marginal VAR reviews. Um, the, I think um, obviously Ben Yedder is we, we knew he was going to get goals right I think when Monaco invested that money in him in the summer we, we kind of probably all could have guessed that he was going to score goals maybe not as many as he has done thus far um, just just to bring it around to a more general thing on Monaco uh, great great ball by Golovin to set up uh, Ben Yedder for that goal he was back in the team after suspension he missed the previous game Cesc Fabregas didn't play he only came on as a very late substitute uh, which was interesting from, the, uh, from Leonardo Jardim and Monaco kept a clean sheet, which perhaps says more about Nantes than it does about uh, Monaco because Nantes had been up in second place despite hardly scoring any goals this season and uh, and they couldn't find a way past uh, a Monaco team even with Camille Glick in it. Obviously, he really struggled this season, but a clean sheet for them will do them the world of good and that's, what, four wins in five games now for them, so they're very much on the way up and they're just a couple of points outside the top three all of a sudden, so it's looking pretty good. Andy, Ben, ben Yedda, he's along with Robert Lewandowski and Sergio Aguero, the only player in one of Europe's top five leagues to have scored in six successive matches now this season. Now, he's only he only went 29 in August. Monaco are willing to shell out 40 million, which on the return already that they're getting from him and potentially could get by the end of the season, looks an incredible bargain. Why 
why was nobody else looking at Wissam Ben Yedda and saying, yes, we'll have him? I mean, why, what, 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 why was Sevilla so happy to let him go? I think Sevilla, I think Sevilla um, probably couldn't say no to the money. I mean, Sevilla are not uh, are not a particularly rich club. They have they've done very well in in recent years by buying well, and they've bought a lot of players from Ligue 1. And I think when the money uh, was offered to them, they had to say, yeah. I mean, Ronnie Lopez went in another direction as well. I'm not sure if they got 40 million or if the 40 million includes the value of Ronnie Lopez. But in any case, uh, it was. I mean, it was you know a, a, a bit of a gamble to some extent by Monaco because of course. Uh, they've they've invested a lot of money in players in the last couple of years and have had all kinds of problems trying to to, to make a decent team out of all the players they brought in. But um, you know, Ben Yedder and Slimani are, are working brilliantly together. And you mentioned the goals that were disallowed. I mean, I think uh, the one in the second half when it was cut back from the byline for Ben Yedder to score from close range, it was because of a very very marginal offside in the build up against I think against Slimani, and that would have been another assist for Slimani, who has been fantastic for them. And uh, that partnership will continue to. To bring them lots of joy in the in the weeks and months ahead, and and you know uh, they are getting some kind of a balance now. If they can continue to supply Ben Yedder, I mean not just Slimani but Golovin playing the way that he played the other night, he's been excellent by the way, and had a really difficult first season, but is really coming on to a game now. Cesc Fabregas when called upon, Adrian Silva played quite well on uh, Friday evening. He was uh, ended up bandaged up, didn't he, around the head to go knock to the head. Um, they're looking pretty good. Can I just say as well a, a word for Fabio, the uh, friend of the podcast, mm. of course, who Armel spoke to recently, the Nantes defender, who suffered a very nasty injury, didn't he? Uh, trying to stop Ben Yedder scoring that goal and was stretched off in tears and I think he'd be out for a very long time, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Didn't look nice. Didn't look nice at all. Just mentioning Ronnie Lopez, he was the last Monaco player to score in six consecutive games. Fact. And Monaco next week can get back into the top of the table for the first time since August 2018. They haven't been in the top half of the Ligue 1 table since. Fact. have to say also, this is, slight, this is more, uh, <laughs> more subjective, David, so I'm not sure you can yell fact after this one, but the clean sheet was, was down in large part as well to Benjamin Leconte. Fact. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is going to become a theme. Who is who? After a very shaky start, you know, remember really spilled that was that the long range Depay shot in the in the in the early in the uh, first game of the season. He's looked a lot better. Looked much more like the goalkeeper that we thought he would be mm. when Monaco got him from Montpellier in the summer. And Monaco were the first team to score at La Beaujoire this season. Before that, Nantes had scored four, conceded none, one four, drawn one at home. And, well, Nicola Palois, the, the, the uncompromising agricultural non-centre-back, said no forward had impressed him. I think that was before the Monaco game. I think he'd be pretty impressed by Ben Yedder now. Mm. And he's now clear at the top of the Ligue 1 scoring chart. And one of the contenders might be out for a little while. We don't know yet. Victor Ozymen, who was hurt playing for Lille against Bordeaux. A 3-0 victory commentated by Armel Tongi. Andre sets up for the shot and gets the opening goal. That's been coming for a few minutes now. Lille do take the lead thanks to Benjamin Andre. With half an hour to go, Yazice makes it two for Lille. The penalty perfectly dispatched and Bordeaux punished once again for their errors. Loic Remy taking on Pablo, past Pablo and finishing for 3-0. Perfectly executed by Loic Remy and it's been 
a near perfect afternoon for Christophe Galtier's Lille. So that's 12 home wins this calendar year for Lille Armel. Uh, Christophe Galtier has tinkered with the system and personnel over the last week. How did it work in your eyes? And just one loss at home in uh, 2019. Um, yeah, he continued with the uh, the three man back line that he'd set up in the in the Champions League, and uh, well, they had very very little to do for about sixty minutes of the game. They really controlled. It was an impressive performance from Lille. Um, it was the equal biggest win of the season with their three 0 win over Saint Etienne in August. But it was it really was it was a a very professional performance. They went they went about things excellently, and that. Although, you know, Victor Aussie men obviously has been catching the headlines since the start of the season. For me, a man who got his first goal for Lille, Benjamin Andre, is uh, abs- is absolutely brilliant in that midfield. Again, another one who got the headlines in midweek, Bubakari Sumare, is someone I've already mentioned on this podcast. I think he's a brilliant player. He's got a big future ahead of him. And what was quite interesting about the way Lille played is Benjamin Andre sort of owned the first half he controlled it winning winning the ball back every time Bordeaux tried to break away um, Lille were pressing very very high and when the forwards pushed Andre and Sumare were very high up behind them they would win the ball back and then play it wide for Lille to be able to attack one of those ended up in a Benjamin Andre goal and in the second half I realised I was seeing him a little bit less and it was Sumare doing the exact same work making those tackles high up I think if Lille, if Lille have those two playing to the best of their ability, which they were this weekend, then they've got they've got a very good team for the season. Galtier took a risk on Aussie men's fitness. He said he knew that Aussie men was touch and go, but still started with him. Be a huge blow if he's out even for a few weeks. Although some players are starting to catch the eye now, including Yusuf Yazidji, who was for about five seconds Lille's club record signing this summer before Renato Sanchez came in. Uh, he scored a penalty, getting off the mark. He's got a lovely left foot, but still doesn't quite fit into the way Lille plays so far, the way I've seen him. No, he he, he started in the midweek against uh, Valencia in the Champions League, a, a game that I was at, and uh, where Galtier tried that three-man back line for the first time, and I thought it did work very well. And I thought uh, Thiago Diallo, there's a name for you kids, 19 years old, made his Champions League debut, picked up by Lille in the summer, alongside Jose Font and Gabriel, looked very, very good, incredibly composed for his uh, first Champions League performance uh, against, I have to say, a pretty toothless Valencia, but still. But Yazici was in the starting lineup as well, instead of, you would say, Ikone, kind of that uh, creative influence. He's not really a wide player, though, Yazici. That's where, maybe where the problem is going to come in. He needs to he needs to be in sort of a central position, more of a more of a playmaker kind of player. But I've been impressed when he's come he's come off the bench in he came off the bench in the first two Champions League games uh, for Lille. Um, I thought did pretty well. Hit the post against Ajax and and really he gave, smashed gave some the crossbar against Valencia as well. He did he did as yes exactly he did as well. I think he's a player that not many people outside of Turkey I think will have heard of. Signed him from Trabs on Spa. I was there actually when they uh, unveiled him, as it were. He was in this, in, talking about fashion four pass, an incredibly powdery blue, powder blue shirt, uh, suit for his uh, unveiling. But still, I think I think the club wouldn't even let him wear it. It was uh, that garish. But still, he looks a very, very good player. He looks a bit like Medi Mostefa 
with the left foot perhaps of Tomo Mongani. Maybe maybe a bit better left foot than Tomo Mongani. But he's a he's a he's something of a number ten that gets moved out wide a little bit because his left foot is so good, which gives him the ability to cut in and shoot from distance. But I, I, he's a very handy player. I think he'd he'd improve a lot of teams going forward. Speaking of uh, Medi Mostefa, Yusuf Yazishi was at Trabzonspor, and I think he played with Karl Majani, possibly oh, oh, at Trabzonspor. Karl Majani, who played with Medi Mostefa at Ajaxio, what five or six years ago in Liga, and there's one for you. I think we need a little bit of context to this. Uh, these random name droppings is that we were David and I were talking about AC Ajaxio's squad in the early part of this decade prior to the pod, and we tried to name pretty much the whole side and found that actually, to our general surprise, we actually could. And now Andy and Armel are just showing off by naming them live on the pod. So that's that's. We've the, not mentioned anyone. We haven't mentioned anyone. No, because we gave them all the fodder. We gave them all. We we are the we, we're Junior Tallow, Adrian Mutu. Let's carry on. Let's carry on. Um, Lauren Koscielny and Pablo had a, a rough old match though in the north of France. Armel Koscielny gave away the penalty uh, that Yazici scored to make it two nil. Um, yeah, it was a ru- it was a rough afternoon for them, but I don't think you can really point the finger at either of those two particularly. If anything, their defensive midfielders, Otavio and um, Ait Benassa, should have been a little more present in helping them out because, as I say, the high press that was coming from Lille's front three followed by their two central midfielders who were pressing very high up the pitch meant that Ait Benassa and Otavio were passing back towards their back line Willy nilly, and um, it was getting it was getting Koscielny, it was getting Pablo, and Willy nilly never played for a Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Who did he play for? Damn, you preempted that one. <laughs> w- Willy Bolly played for Auxerre, <laughs> but no, it was yeah, it, it wasn't the easiest game that Koscielny will, will play this season. But I don't think you can really blame him or Pablo or even Mexia for that. Yeah, I don't think Cedric Onsbar had anything to do with it either. He was a Jaxio's right back. At he that once time. scored a goal for Auxerre that qualified them for the Champions League. He was very good at penalties. Very good at penalties. He was Auxerre's penalty. I think if Yaziji let his hair down, it could look quite Onsbar esque <laughs> as well. Anyway, that's enough Ajaxio chat for now. But back in the Ajaxio era, the man to my right, Andy Scott, used to be a specialist of the nil nil draw on his commentary games to the extent that for one of his birthdays, myself and Angus Tarode did a mock DVD cover, Andy Scott's greatest nil-nil league and games ever. Uh, <laughs> All featuring Bordeaux. But now, things have changed. And Andy always commentates five goal thrillers. The latest one, Ren Toulouse. Here come Ren. The ball in and the finish is exceptional. Put up by Neil. It's a stunning start to the game for Ren. And in by Neil. And all his Ren teammates come straight across to celebrate with their coach, Julien Stefan. Bourigeau, across to the far side. Nanyang has been turned in by Hunu. Two goals inside six minutes. Well, well, well. Julien Stefan's team have started today with the bit between their teeth. Cradell. That's an excellent ball towards the far post and it's been turned in by Mathieu Dossevi. Toulouse have a goal back just before half-time. This game on again. 23 yards out here from Maxelan Gradel. Up and over the wall and into the net. Brilliantly struck by the Toulouse captain. 
and it's 2-2. Jeanette Stefani, former coach of Wren's second team. It's all about the talent in the academy ranks at Wren. So it was all about how unforgiving it is to be a coach at the top level. But, uh, Failure to win this game today from a 2-0 lead. He's only going to see the pressure build on him unless... Oh! He's won it! And the touch by Sibadjur setting up his fellow substitute, Bo. He is just 18 years old. And now he's got his first league and goal. And what a goal! So, Wren ended their winless 10-game run in all competitions, scored twice in the opening six minutes, I think, for the second week running, Andy. You might have had the best game of the weekend. Um, well, I mean, I don't know if it was a necessarily a fantastic game, but certainly lots happened in it. I mean, it was it was entertaining enough, you know, but I think we have to put it into the context that Wren and Toulouse are two sides who were down towards the bottom of the table coming into the game, and there's a reason for that. Um, Toulouse obviously won the first match under Antoine Comboire. had a terrible start to this game yesterday. Rennes were 2-0 up inside six minutes. And by Nyon, who'd missed the penalty against Chefere Cluj in the Europa League on Thursday evening and uh, made up for that by scoring the opening goal. And then Adrian Hunu, who's uh, done very well recently actually, put, put them 2-0 up. Seven goals in 11 uh, home league appearances for Adrian Hunu. But Toulouse came back and uh, Max Gradel... Uh, equalised for them with a free kick with six minutes to go it looked like Rem would not get their first win since the end of August uh, ten games without a win before that match yesterday and then uh, a pretty remarkable uh, 92nd minute winner by Jan Gbo who's just 18 years old had come on about a minute earlier and uh, slotted in in the 92nd minute to give uh, Rem the victory it was just his second league on appearance and uh, a Rem team obviously who have Eduardo Camavinga playing for them who's not even 17 yet and Boho is another talented young player who's coming through there. They also had the 16-year-old Pepe Bonet, who came on in goal on Thursday in the European game after Edouard Mendy was sent off. So here's another exciting young player and um, a much-needed win for, for Ren, a much-needed win for Julien Stefan. Uh, a lot has been made of the, uh, how do we say this really in English, the communion between the, between <laughs> the players and, and, the, and the, the coaching staff and the supporters in the wake of Thursday's game because they finished that with nine men and the feeling was that the supporters were really behind the team despite that defeat in Europe and Julian Stefan talked about it possibly serving as a, as a trigger for them to start improving their results and when Rennes got their opening goal Nyon and the rest of the Rennes players ran across to celebrate with mm. Stefan clearly showing that they're right behind him uh, it's been a bit of a crisis uh, for Rennes and um, they'll hope that this result can get them moving in the right direction again but as I say it wasn't a particularly brilliant performance by any means um, but you know sometimes you just need to get a win and, and they've got that now albeit right at the death having nearly thrown it away quite quite nice that Boho should get the winner as well because Julien Stefan used to be obviously the reserve team coach and he's worked up with the uh, the youth teams at Rennes so no doubt someone who knows Julien Stefan very well Boho so being given his chance and repaying Boho for Rennes boohoo for Toulouse and Stefan's put Grenier in the cave he has yeah Grenier's in the attic um, he, yeah, he's not injured. He's just been put aside for a the fatty attic. I think it it could be quite, quite a turning point in Grenier's career because he's a very good player. But he sort of finished on a downer at Lyon. He went to Guingamp, got his career going again. Now he's at Rennes. Everything was looking good, and now a, a bit of a dud patch. So 
I'm a bit worried for Clement Grenier, who's a player I, I like watching. Other games, Saint-Étienne 2, Amiens 2, that was one I watched. We're not going to get play the commentary. It wasn't very good. Uh, Wabi Kazri ended his 15-game goal drought. Uh, Claude Puel still unbeaten. Uh, they were in front in that game, thanks to Kazri. But then Amiens got in front there. Excellent on the break. Good finishes as well from Mendoza and Okolo before a rather fortuitous equaliser for Saint-Étienne and no goals in Puel time. But uh, yeah, Saint-Étienne, the stands behind the goal were shut, so they didn't have that usual chaudron cauldron atmosphere to push them on. But there are encouraging signs. And Buonga, as a wing-back, as he played the three centre-halves again, looks good going forward, but he was exposed defensively when uh, Amiens went in front and... Uh, but I think Claude Puel has got them moving in the right direction. Again, he played three teenagers, two of them in the back line with uh, Wesley Fofana and Saliba and the 19-year-old Charles Abbey. He moves really well. If he can add goal scoring to his game, I think he's a genuine prospect. I thought Fofana was has been superb since he's been put put in by, by Puel. It's quite a, quite a gamble to play Fofana and Saliba alongside Loic Perrin. But uh, it's worked very, very well indeed. In fact, it's a, it's a little bit like the formula that Galti has at, at Lille. A couple of young centre-backs and a, and a hugely experienced one in the middle. I thought uh, one of Puel's former players was very good against him this weekend in uh, Fuseni Diabate. <laughs> did you? He signed him at Leicester, didn't he? He and did he, sign him at Leicester, was, yeah. yeah he's, he's on loan he, at Leicester and was preferred to Otero at the weekend. He, he teed up Girassi for a, for a shot um, on an impressive breakaway and... Yeah. Uh, have you guessed that Fuseni Diabate used to play for Ajax? You know? No, he played for Gazalek. <laughs> Fuseni Diawara played for AC Ajaxio, but <laughs> I didn't specify I which Ajaxio, did I? This is getting out of hand, gentlemen. Totally out of hand. And the only way to get over this is to talk about Paul Lansvoli for Brest in the Olivier Dalolioco against Dijon. A 2 0 win, and Brest are up to fifth. That was that was a fantastic goal, probably a goal of the weekend, surely, um, and a great result for Brest because they had uh, Denny Bang who scored the second goal was then sent off. So Denny Bang for an early in the bath. pouring rain sent for an early bath, <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, excuse me, it was and, raining. Uh, in, it it was, was raining in Brittany. It was it was it wasn't it just raining in Brittany and the poor supporters in the it? in the stand behind the goal with uh, no roof over it there at the Stade Francis Le Blay were uh, somewhat exposed to the elements, but a, a great win for Brest. Three wins in a row, three clean sheets in a row for them, and uh, who would have thought that? They're uh, flying high. Well, here's, here's a name for you as well. Johan Kour, or Court, mm. if you look at it. 29, I believe, mm. and uh, six assists now already this season. That is And two goals. Pretty handy, yeah, and two, and mm. two goals. And um, as I learned recently, he was recently diagnosed with uh, diabetes. And uh, says actually, it's it's kind of helped him because he eats more healthily and lives a healthier mm-hmm. lifestyle now. And one, I don't have the uh, actual numbers, so apologies for that. But I think um, Yuan Kour was part of the Trois team a couple of years ago, who yeah. just about went the entire season without winning a game. Mm. And um, when Brest won, maybe their first win of the season, maybe week three, week four, it was Yuan Kour's first win in let's say something like thirty, thirty-five appearances in league, and the guy had gone through. A pretty miserable time playing in the top division and playing for good teams in the second tier, coming back up and struggling again. And uh, once on the books at Lyon as a young player, 
So he was clearly a very talented younger player, but um, maybe kind of lost his way to some extent at the top level. But yeah, he's, his things are looking good for him, and he's he's playing a very important part in that Brest team. Yeah, his goals actually. They, they, he got two in the two-two draw with Leon yeah. a, a couple of weeks ago. Those were his first league one goals, and the, his only previous league uh pedigree was that season. I think 2015-2016 with Troyes. Um, so yeah, looks very good. It's sort of the new Teji Savanier. We are approaching the end of this podcast. Do get in touch with us at leagueandpodcast at gmail.com. We do welcome your input. It is a, a very tight league this year. We say Brest in fifth, but uh, just eight points between second from bottom and second from top. Paris Saint-Germain now with a, a huge lead over Nantes, up to eight points, the advantage now for the champions. But eight points between second bottom and second top. It's 15, the gap in the Premier League, 11 in La Liga, 11 in the Bundesliga, Take PSG out of it, and it's very competitive, gentlemen. Yes, it is. It is very competitive, and you've got teams like Rouse, who are currently Europe's best defence, who are up in fourth, as we just mentioned, Brest in fifth. It's willy-nilly's out here again, but you know, a couple of losses, and you're back down in the relegation zone. And you know, the likes of Monaco, Saint-Étienne, Lyon, currently eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth, they can be up in the in the top four within no time. It's it's a strange, it's a strange one, but um, we're getting more and more used to it. And one yeah. thing it does do is it puts real pressure on the on the nineteen other teams to win yeah. their games. But it seems, for now anyway, teams are struggling a little bit on the road. I think I think uh, you say that it puts more pressure on them, but in a way, in a way, it takes some of the pressure off because you know these big teams have had poor starts to the season. They still know that two, three wins on the bounce, and they'll be right back up there. Uh, we've been saying for weeks and weeks, you know how we, you know, Monaco, Marseille, all these teams, Lyon, obviously have have not been fulfilling their potential. But you still feel that there's a good chance that eventually, give it three, four more months, and and the league will be looking a little bit more familiar. The likes of Nantes and Reims, you can't imagine they'll stay up there all the way through. Monaco's quality is beginning to shine. Give Rudy Garcia a little bit of time at Lyon to to settle in, to bed to bed things in there. Maybe they'll start looking better. Saint Etienne beginning to look better as well. And, um, you know, at the moment, the, the problem is that there's not been any team uh, behind Paris Saint-Germain who've put a real good run of results together to, to look remotely capable of challenging them. So it's very close. But, of course, the other side of the coin is that PSG are eight points clear already after the weekend's results. Memphis Depay says Ligue 1 is underrated. Uh, very quickly, has it improved in the time you've been watching it? Uh, I've got a, a little anecdote which will tell you it has. I remember... France Football about 10 years ago were doing their summer transfer special and when you're trying to sell that magazine when you're trying to show that the league's exciting you really want to see a, a, a big name on the cover and I'm not talking a long name I'm not talking Timothy Kolodziszak uh, Ricky Van Volswinkel more Ricky Van Volswinkel yeah. what a great name uh, but that year it was Joffrey Dernis admirable pro that he is oh. he's not going to get you watching <laughs> league and the way that a Kylian Mbappe or uh, a Neymar will Ian no he won't quite frankly as good as he was for Lille and uh, and Saint-Étienne um, but yeah of course I mean since 2011 when uh, QSI took over Paris Saint-Germain things have changed phenomenally haven't they I mean we've got Neymar in Liga, and the thing is with I mean how long would Kylian Mbappe have stayed in Liga if he weren't at PSG right now earning what he earns yeah, he'd have surely been snapped up by, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, mm. Manchester City, 
yeah, and and would have would have gone just like just like so many of the of the nineteen ninety eight generation were the you know two thousand six. Yeah, you see that especially with the strikers. I know uh, Armel is still on Jimmy Brion Century oh, Watch, and it, it's a rare feat because the ones that get close, well, they get fifty goals in two three seasons, and they'll probably earn a big money transfer abroad, maybe come back a bit later in their career. But that does appear to be changing to an extent. Yeah, I think I think. Uh, because the quality at the top has gone up, the overall quality as well, the average quality, the mean quality, as it were, has has gone up too. Because the 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 other teams, they're getting a bit more money too. Kind of the PSG trickle down effect, as it were. They're they're getting the money to keep their better players as well. I mean, it still happens that young players like William Saliba are heading off at eighteen to to Arsenal. Mm. But okay, I think the overall quality is better, and I think importantly. For us, particularly as commentators, I think I've certainly I've noticed that what we what we joked about Andy's uh, Bordeaux nil, uh, basically against anybody nil in previous seasons. There, there's a lot more of an attacking philosophy coming from. Let's the just coaches. say that Andy didn't go to Francis Hulot's Pau de Départ when he left Bordeaux. <laughs> I think I think I broadly agree with all of that. I think the one thing I would say, yes, the. Uh, across the board, if we feel like the level is is improving, but Paris Saint Germain obviously improving at a, a greater speed than anybody else. So there's still uh, there's a huge gulf between them and the rest. And I think it would be great for all of us if um, if if the league and clubs below Paris Saint Germain could you know really kick on in European competition. I think it's been a disappointing start for all of them, mm-hmm. other than PSG in in the, in the Champions League and Europa League this season. Very. Uh, a bit dispiriting, really, to see some of the results last week. Obviously, Rennes, I mentioned, being down to nine men, that didn't help them. Saint-Étienne held, uh, albeit maintaining their un- uh, Claude Puel, maintaining his unbeaten record against Alexandria, as, uh, as Armel referred to last week. But that was a disappointing result. And Lille and, and Lyon failing to win as well. So let's hope that in the next few games in the group stages of, of the European competitions, these, these clubs can improve their results. Because at the moment, uh, it's not been great from them. But you know the potential is, is definitely there. And just to add, you know, I've only been working in Ligue 1 for four or five years now, but it's definitely Im- improved since since even I arrived to working here. I do, I do think, as a whole, the teams have more more quality about their squads now, and and it makes for a more enjoyable watch. More goals every weekend. I say that because I finally had a weekend where I didn't have a nil nil. Nice, nice. Now, executive producer Ian, despite what he said at the start of the show, is here to impose discipline. He's shooting daggers at me because we're running a bit long. So there's only going to be one bon voyage this week and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to Saint-Étienne, Monaco, because Claude Puel's unbeaten run will truly be put to the test there against the club where he's a club legend having played so many games and won the title with them at the start of the millennium. Um, can Ben Yedda continue his incredible scoring run? I'd say yes again. I do think Saint-Étienne are getting better and that, I think, is going to be the most entertaining game of the weekend uh, as well as arguably the one with the most at stake. And you're not too far from a little ferry from Toulon that you could take to make it to Ajaccio on Friday for the Ligue 2 game. Nice. And on that note, I think it's time for Armel Tongi to say au revoir. Ian Holyman, Andy Scott and myself, David Cross. And thanks for listening to Le Beaujeu. Max Biro probably back next week unless he gets stuck on his holiday island. Bye for now.
Marcelo. 